Welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you once again as we continue our series, The Spirit of Christmas. Last week, we started to think about how the Holy Spirit works to bring about the joy of Christmas, to, to give us the story that we celebrate and how he works in our lives. Tonight, we're going to see that as it's revealed throughout history. Tonight, we're turning to the Gospel of Matthew, and, and Matthew begins by rooting us and how God has been preparing for the Christmas story for all of history. And as we see that, it gives us confidence in our own lives as we wonder, what's God doing? Is he preparing? Or is he just being present and watching? We get to see that God prepares, that God's spirit is with us, and that God is working. So let's come before our God and ask that he would guide us, that we can see more clearly how he is working this night and every day in our lives. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your goodness, for, for sending your Son. What we're celebrating on this Christmas season as we, we approach Christmas Day and we, we think about how you work. Thank you also for sending your Spirit that, that he is with us every day, turning our hearts towards you and enabling us to, to better see how you work. Lord, would you help us to to cling to the promises of your word. And tonight, Lord, would you reveal the truth of your word by the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's pretty amazing when we think about scripture. When we think about this story written by several dozen different people, covering a span of time over thousands of years. And yet, as we look at it, we see the pieces that intricately fit together. How does that happen? Well, we know that God's word is inspired by him, that his spirit came upon those who, who wrote his word. But we also know that even before it was written, as the history of the world itself was being authored, God's spirit came into the lives of people and guided them. We see that in some of the leaders, many of the leaders throughout biblical history, as we see, for example, the spirit of the Lord came upon Moses, upon Joshua, upon King Saul and King David, and so many others, including the prophets. Each time the Spirit would come upon someone, he, he would guide them to something. And, and as we look at the genealogy of Jesus, which is how Matthew begins his gospel, we see the working of the Spirit preparing us for Christmas Day, preparing us for the coming of the Savior, and preparing us for what would come as we receive the Savior. It shows that, that God is, is working over the long term. That sometimes can be hard for us to get our minds around because sometimes it's hard for us to do. I was thinking about the beauty of an amaryllis. We, we often have these around at Christmas time, these beautiful flowers. You sometimes just get them as a bulb in the store before Christmas, and then you can plant it and water it and watch the beautiful flower come up. And, and this is this year's amaryllis for me, and isn't it beautiful? You have to to water it and, and plan so that it's ready and it's blooming. And, and I said it's this year's, but what I actually mean is it was blooming in February. Because you see, I, I got the amaryllis before Christmas last year, but I took a little while to plant it and kept meaning to plant it. And, and the next thing you know, it's past Christmas and it was just starting to sprout. It ended up blooming in February, which was still really lovely, but it wasn't ready for Christmas. And, and that's just a simple little thing, getting a flower ready, but... How often do we do that? We, we have things that, that take some planning, take some time, and it's easy to, 
to put them off and think I'll do it later or, or not do it at all. And so then it's all the harder, I think, for us to imagine. What about if we're talking about all of history, about thousands of years, if we're talking about millions and billions of people? That's a lot more planning than the sort of silly little things like planting a flower bulb so it'll be blooming at Christmas time involves. And so much more is going on, and, and yet God does it. He doesn't start to get the bulb out of the box and forget to put it in the pot or, or delay in putting it in the pot, and then it blooms a little too late and something else doesn't happen. No, God does it all in time does it exactly when it needs to happen so that the pieces come together. And that's what Matthew wants us to see. And we can see that if we look at the first two verses of this gospel. Turn there now, if you would, with me. The gospel of Matthew begins the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And so begins the genealogy of Jesus. And, and literally, we see the beginning there. The, the word that, that Matthew uses to say the genealogy of Jesus could also be translated the beginning or origin of Jesus. It's the word that gives us the, the title of the book of Genesis. And, and so what we see here is the beginning of the story. And he starts with the patriarchs, with the first three generations after God calls his people together. We see Abraham and his son Isaac and Jacob, and, and then it's going to keep going for several more generations that are somewhat notable and some seem less notable, but all of them have something in common. They're all part of a family tree. They're all leading somewhere, and they're all rooted in the promise that God gave to Abraham at the beginning of this story. If you think about the book of Genesis, it, it homes in on God's people. You, you have this giant universal history telling the story of the creation of the world. And then it's as if the camera starts zooming in. and You, you have all the universe and then humankind created. And then you have some, some figures like Noah and so on, but it's still dealing with the whole of creation in some sense. But it keeps zooming in until we get to Genesis chapter 12, and where God calls Abraham. And then suddenly we see God starting to work specifically with his people. Let's take a look at the first three verses of Genesis 12. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's quite a promise. It's a promise that Abraham, as he heard it, wouldn't have really known how to sort out. How do you bless all the families of the world? One person blessing everyone. You think about our lives, wouldn't it be amazing if God said to, to one of us, you're going to bless the whole world. Every family in the world is going to have a blessing made accessible by you and your descendants. Wouldn't that be amazing? We don't expect it to happen though, do we? 
most of us just go about our days. And if we do think of anything like, well, what am I leaving in this world for other people and so on? We, we think on a much smaller scale because we know we're not going to actually be a blessing to the entire world. But Abraham was given that promise. As the camera zoomed in on this one family that would become one nation, this this family of God, God says, you're going to bless everyone. Now, of course, we're coming at this. We're, we're coming at this as those who have the New Testament and, and we're celebrating Christmas because Jesus came into the world, a descendant of Abraham. And, and so we, we, we know where this is going. But imagine for a moment what Abraham's thinking. Imagine how he's trying to figure out what's God doing here. He, he he's, he's looking at the box and it says, plant one family and have a beautiful flower on Christmas Day. And for one, he thinks, well, well, I'm not even sure what Christmas Day is. And in this case, planting that bulb is going to take a whole lot longer than, than just having a few extra weeks of planting before Christmas. This is going to take generations. It's going to take millennia. If we look at the whole genealogy, if you're if you're there with me in, in Matthew chapter 1, you're going to see a lot of names. And in fact, those aren't even all the names. We have some clues in there that would have been very obvious to the first readers who who were familiar with the genealogy of, of the patriarchs of Israel all the way down to King David, at least. And so they would have seen that, that Matthew was giving an abbreviated genealogy. He's mentioning some of the notable names or, or names that he wanted to invoke so that they'd be thinking about things. He's not naming every generation. And in doing that, then, they know that even this very lengthy list is just a preview, just a taste of how long it is that God has been planning this. 14 generations is a lot. It takes a long time. None of us will live long enough to witness 14 generations come and go. And yet that is just a sample of how long God has been planning. From the foundation of the world, he's been planning. How hard is it for us to plan just for a little while? As, as I was thinking about the, the span of this, and I thought about my own life and when I plan things and, and how just recently I, I was feeling really discouraged as I was thinking about the planning that's been going into what we're doing here at Little Hills because it feels like it's been such a long process and and you wonder is all are all the plans going to come together is everything going to work and and we do some of the planning that we're doing and, and you don't necessarily immediately see anything coming of it just like Abraham didn't see anything immediately coming from it and if I'm working on something for weeks or months or a couple of years or more, that's enough to start to discourage me. Am I really going in the direction God wants me to go? Is is it going to work? And yet, God doesn't become discouraged when he's working in much longer spans of time. And that's helpful for me to remember when I'm feeling discouraged. Because I, I look at just the, the several years that we've put into Little Hill so far, and, and it feels like a, a long time. But for God, it's just a little time. And it's been so amazing as, as that time has, has played out as it has, not as we imagined, because we weren't thinking in terms of a global pandemic hitting or some of the other challenges we faced. As that's played out, things that I wouldn't have planned have happened. Like, for example, we're having a fantastic Christmas celebration that we're going to have more details about at the end of the video tonight happening on Thursday and involving believers from around the world. That wouldn't have happened without some of the delays and the extended planning for this church planting process that's happened. 
But that's not how I think in the moment. In the moment, I'm thinking, this is the thing I'm working on at this moment, and when am I going to see fruit in it? And I bet you've had that same experience, whether it's at a job, whether it's in trying to fix conflict in your family, whether it's just a hobby that you're doing that you want to master, you want to learn to play an instrument or, or play a sport or whatever, and it just feels like it's always delayed and we become discouraged. Then we start to think, well, maybe it isn't just that this plan isn't happening, how I thought it would. We start to think, maybe I just don't fit in because we're, we're so focused on this next little moment that we think, well, maybe it's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm just a misfit. But what do we see in this genealogy? And this is something I believe speaks to why Matthew mentions the people he does. It's that God works with the misfits of the world. We see that, for example, in verse 5. Right in the middle of the genealogy, it says, And Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Now, again, remember this is an abbreviated genealogy, but he compacts together several really important names that, if you're thinking back to the Old Testament, are, are really crucial. But when we take our mind out of what we studied of the Bible, maybe you've heard these stories in Sunday school growing up or, or read them, you've done a one-year Bible study or you've just worked your way through the books of the Bible, you run into these names, we're used to them and, and they're wonderful people that are part of the story and we get excited to see these names we recognize. Well, let's think about them in context for a moment. For example, Rahab that's mentioned here right in the middle of this genealogy that's going along, building up the line of David and ultimately of Jesus. And this is where we first encounter her in Joshua chapter 2. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, Men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. So that's our introduction to Rahab. And, and if you think about how if you were casting the, the line the, of an important king, or the most important king at that, you wouldn't necessarily include her. But God does. And we see example after example of that in the genealogy that we read in this line of Jesus. Take a look, for example, right after Rahab, we run into Boaz and Ruth, and take a look at what we read about Ruth's people. Ruth is a Moabite. And it says, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. That's in the law. That's in the Torah. You see, the Moabites had opposed the people of Israel. In fact, the king of Moab had hired Balaam to curse the people of Israel. We thought about him a few months ago in another series. So they weren't viewed as friends of the people of Israel. They were viewed as enemies of the people of Israel. They weren't allowed to come in and, and worship in the temple. 
they're not the sort of people then that you would write into the story of the most important king ever to live. Yet what does God do? He takes a faithful Moabitess, Ruth, and brings her right into the line of David and ultimately of Jesus. So again, we see this, this unlikely set of people being brought in, people that, that's, that are outsiders, people who have, have checkered past, people that don't seem to belong, misfits, the, the people that seem to be excluded from the promises. They're not part of the people of God. And yet they're brought into the people of God. And we see this in the very first few verses of Matthew, before we even see Jesus be born and, and the, the wise men and everything else start to happen that's familiar in the gospel. We often just whiz right past this genealogy. But that's what we see there. And in that, then, we, we see a preview, as commentators have noted, of the very end of the gospel of Matthew, where, where Jesus sends the disciples off with the Great Commission to go out and preach the gospel, not just to the people of Israel, not even to just the surrounding communities around the people of Israel, but to the whole world. Why? Because God cares about the misfits. God cares about the people that don't seem to have any value. God cares about us when we feel like we don't have any value. And in that, we're challenged in two important ways. When we're dealing with plans that don't seem to be coming together, plans that seem to just take a lot of energy and time and we're weary, and we start to doubt whether we have any value to God, whether he cares whether he's really sending us any place in particular, or if we're just wandering off hopeless. What can we be reminded of? That God takes people like that and he uses them. He takes people like us and he uses them. And that also reminds us of how we should view other people, especially the people that we want to write out of our lives and write out of the story of God even maybe the people that really irritate us, the people that anger us, the people that just seem hopeless and worthless to us. When we have those sorts of thoughts come into our head, and Satan loves to start making us think about other people in a way that makes them appear less worthy. Let's remember the same thing. The same reason that we're worthy, not because of our own merit, but because of God's love, so too are they. And just as, as Ruth and Rahab, and others in that genealogy didn't really seem to belong there. And, and, and it would have been easy to say, they're never going to contribute anything to the story of God. The people that we run across, those ones that, that we just want to write off, God can use them too. And so we're called to share his gospel to, to those near and to those far away across the world. To share his gospel knowing that God uses those misfits. And, and sometimes it might not even be immediately obvious, but because God has that long-term plan that he's working, in the span of history, he's pulling the pieces together, just as we see in this genealogy. And he does that even in our own lives, even in our most misfit moments, even when we bring about storms into our lives, and it feels like everything's coming apart. I was reading about a, an Ikea store in Europe that that got hit by a really bad snowstorm. I believe it was last week. And if you've ever been to an Ikea, you know that those stores are massive. There are tons of people in them, even when they don't seem very busy. And so it was that this blizzard came up. It wasn't really expected, at least by the customers and employees. They, they hadn't closed ahead of it. And the storm just started hitting them really hard. And, and so they couldn't get home. 
So what was going to happen to them? Well, fortunately, they were stuck in a furniture store with all kinds of wonderful bedding and a furniture store that just happens to also have people go there specifically for its food. And so they made the best of it. They they apparently had a, a wonderful dinner and there, there are TV screens in the cafeteria. And so they, they watched a sporting event together and then the manager baked cinnamon rolls for them. And then they all got to pick out whatever bedding they wanted to use out of all the different display models. And they all were able to settle in and sleep until the manager woke them up with more fresh cinnamon rolls and hot chocolate. He took this blizzard, this storm of life that was hitting them that could have been a horrible, scary disaster. He made it something good. A, a story that's now going around the world about how they actually had fun being stuck in an Ikea. What happens when we cause our own storms. A lot of times they're, they're really ugly and they're really frightening. And we have every reason to believe everything is going to go wrong. And oftentimes there are consequences to them and things start to come apart. And we see that with someone that we've already referenced tonight that ends up in that genealogy. And that's King David. Take a look at verse 6. It goes on and says, And Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Notice the interesting wording that Matthew uses there. He, he could have said David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, or in many cases it doesn't even mention the mother, but here it specifically mentions Bathsheba, but by her husband's name. Because of course we know that Bathsheba and Uriah tie directly into the darkest story in David's life, a story in which David murders Uriah and takes Bathsheba. A story that, that in, in many of our minds should disqualify David from doing anything worthwhile. Yet God allows David into that story. Talk about a misfit, a, a murderer, someone who conspires to hide his sin. And then here we are in this genealogy and Matthew doesn't try to gloss over it or try to make it look better so that we're just focused on how glorious the days of David were as we're moving towards the story of Jesus. No, he actually brings it up. He refers to Bathsheba, reminding us of her first husband's name so that we are thinking as we read through this, not just of the story of this line of, of people that form the ancestors of, of the Messiah, but of the treachery of David in that story. And in that, of course, that David, the, the greatest example in this genealogy up to the time of Jesus in so many ways, that David himself couldn't be good enough to save the people. David turns to the Lord in the middle of that storm, in that storm that he's created, and it causes so much trouble and turmoil. And yet he holds on to the promise of God. And he holds on to that promise of God even when there are consequences and there's fallout for the rest of his life. He holds on to the promises of God because he knows that God can take the storms of life, the blizzards that hit us, and do something beautiful with them. The Ikea manager made cinnamon rolls and hot chocolate and, and made it a, this slumber party in the middle of Ikea. And that was a really neat thing. But what does God do? What does God do even with this treachery of David and, and all the other faults and foibles of the others listed in this genealogy? He doesn't just bake cinnamon rolls for the people stuck in the storm. He brings himself into the world. He brings the ultimate king into the world and he offers salvation. He offers not just a safe place for the night, a safe place for eternity. When David held on to those promises of God in that storm that he created, 
He was holding on for good reason because that salvation that he knew would come did come. We can do the same when, when we're right in the midst of our own storms, the ones that we create and the ones that we encounter from other people. Because all of history, the Holy Spirit has been guiding his people, even his messed up, quirky, fallen, broken, sometimes horrible people to bring about salvation. I'm sure you've seen and remember fondly a Peanuts Christmas. It just seems like Christmas when we get to see that special. And it's such a beautiful special. And of course, right at the center of it is a telling of the true Christmas story. But do you remember how it comes up? Charlie Brown's been depressed for, for the first part uh, of the story. Uh, Christmas is just overly commercial and everyone's focused on themselves. And, and then he, he's made the director uh, of the Christmas pageant and he's trying to pull together this Christmas pageant, but no one will listen and everyone wants to ham it up and it's just coming apart at the seams. And he finally yells out, does anyone know what Christmas is about? And of course, we hear that beautiful story from the Gospel of Luke, the, the true story of Christmas. And, and we hear that, and it is so wonderful, and, and so many of us love how that plays out, because sometimes we've just wanted to scream that out too. And, and of course, it ends just as a wonderful story of, of people who have heard what Christmas is truly about. But sometimes we don't feel like we're hearing that story being told and everyone going silent and listening to it. We feel like we're in the midst of trying to arrange the pageant and everything is going wrong. Maybe that will be your experience this year as you're trying to organize ahead of Christmas and it just feels like everything goes in the wrong direction. No one is, is cooperating. There, there's fighting amongst family. The, the food isn't cooking correctly. Maybe that feels like a metaphor of your life more generally and you're trying to figure out how to make sense of plans and, and hopes and dreams. But what are we told as we look at this genealogy? You know, all that planning that goes into a Christmas pageant, buying the costumes, doing the staging, all this sort of stuff, people learning their lines. Well, when you think about this genealogy, it's saying that God has been planning the ultimate Christmas pageant, putting all the right people in place, giving them the right words to say at the right time. Ensuring that all the pieces go together, not just for a Christmas pageant, but the one real Christmas pageant that happened 2,000 years ago on that Christmas morning. And when everything's chaotic and, and David's hamming it up, or, or Solomon or Rehoboam or, or so many of the others are messing it up, and someone wants to cry out from the side of the stage, does anyone know what Christmas is about? Spirit says yes, and just watch, just see going to happen. The real Christmas story is about to begin. And that story continues today. And when, when your life feels like a bad Christmas pageant, coming apart at the seams, you can look at the God who, who could orchestrate some of the most broken people in all of history together into a line that would bring about the coming of the Messiah. And we can know that that God is continuing by his Holy Spirit to guide you and to guide me today. He's still the director who can actually bring everyone together on stage at the right moment. And so we trust him. He's going to do that for us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for, for caring about our lives. And, and not just from a distance, but sending your spirit to dwell in our lives. That, 
the same spirit that has been over creation for all time and has come upon your people at times to make things happen. It's the same spirit promised to every single person who trusts in you, who confesses the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, tonight, would you remind us of your presence with us and your care for us and and the fact that you are the one bringing together the pieces, even when we feel down, even when we feel depressed or confused, that you are with us. And then would you remind us as we're sent out, that we're sent out to declare what Christmas is about, the God who is with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, I do hope that this was encouraging to you tonight. And if it was, would you consider sharing it? People need to hear what Christmas is really about. And by sharing this on your social media, sending an email to a friend, maybe inviting someone over for a cup of hot cocoa and watching it together, you can help share the hope of Christmas. I certainly appreciate it when you do. We have so much more going on right now to help us to, to reflect on that God who, who came at Christmas into our world. Right now we're reading through the Gospel of Matthew during Advent, and if you haven't started yet, it's not too late. We're in Matthew chapter 9 today, and I would love to have you join us on that. You can get the details on that and the other things coming up by going to the website that's on screen, littlehills.church slash Christmas. We have Christmas Eve service coming up. We have a devotional series on the 12 days of Christmas coming up. So many things. So please do check out that site and jump right in today. It's a wonderful opportunity. And speaking of wonderful opportunities, one that I'm so excited to, to share with you is coming up on Thursday when we have O Christmas Faith Tree at 8 p.m. It's going to be a wonderful time. We're going to share in God's word together. We're going to share in wonderful carols together. And the so amazing thing about this time is we're going to have believers from all across the world joining together, sharing in this story. And it's so amazing how it's come together. I shared that I was discouraged last week earlier. Watching how God has brought this event together has just been so encouraging and such a wonderful reminder of how God works. And I really just, I just can't wait to share it with you. So I hope that you'll be there at 8 p.m. on Thursday night for that. Again, you can go to our website and get details on that. If there's any way I can be praying for you this week, I would love to hear from you. Feel free to shoot an email at the email address on screen or leave a comment in the comments below and we can pray together. It's always wonderful to get to share in a prayer request. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week in this time of preparation for Christmas, and I can't wait to see you again next week as we delve into the Gospel of John as we continue to see how the Spirit works to renew us and to draw us into his story. I'll see you then.